Welcome to Django's News and Updates podcast, the accompanying podcast to Django's blog and updates email. I'm Elena Williams. These are the updates for the 28 days to the 18th of May 2014. The latest official version of Django is 1.6.5 and the current production versions of Python are 3.4.0 and 2.7.6. This episode's main feature is a talk I had with Justin Miles Holmes about the Unsettings project. But before that, I'm going to talk about the security releases that have been released in the last month. There's a really quick update on the progress of Django 1.7 and news and events. First up, there were quite a few major security updates in the last month. Most importantly, all recent versions of Django have been affected. Every version of Django from the long-term support release, which is 1.4, needs to be updated. So that's Django 1.4, 1.5, 1.6 and 1.7 all need to be upgraded if you're using them. There have been five major security fixes that have gone in. I'm going to go into these in a little bit more detail. But firstly, an update on where the release of Django 1.7 is at. So due to these security releases, the release of 1.7 has been pushed back, which is nearly certainly the right thing to do. And when I asked on Django Dev this weekend, Tim Graham said that he'd guesstimate that they're about a month out from 1.7 final, seeing there's a minimum of two weeks after the release candidate is issued before they're going to be able to release the final version. And Andrew Godwin, who is the current release manager, said that the number of release blockers seems to be growing and he wouldn't be able to put a date on it. It's at least a month and he hopes that it's going to be sooner. There is a link to a list of the release blockers which are going to be in the show notes and there are only 14 when I looked but Andrew does seem to be concerned that the list keeps growing. So just to give a little bit of information about what these security issues are actually about, uh, the first one is CVE 2014-0472 and this is unexpected code execution using reverse and this is a problem with the convenience function reverse which you probably know as django.core.url resolvers reverse and one of the arguments you can pass into this function is a dotted python path so under a bunch of circumstances this would allow vulnerable code to be executed so to remedy this vulnerability, Reverse will now only accept modules listed in the project's URL path configuration. Thank you to Benjamin Bark for reporting this issue. The next one is CVE 2014-0473. And this is the caching of anonymous pages revealing the CSRF token. So the behavior that's being fixed is that when an anonymous user first requests a CSRF cookie, The framework was caching this and then sending the same cookie if another anonymous user required it the first time. So this meant that an attacker would be able to obtain a valid CSRF cookie value and perform attacks which bypass the normal check. The remedy to this is that the caching framework won't cache these responses anymore and there's a bunch of conditions using which they figure this out. Thanks to committer Paul McMillan for reporting this. 
Another one of the resolved security issues is CVE 2014-3730, which is malformed URLs from user input incorrectly validates. So what this addresses is the case where Django relies upon some user input to redirect the user on the on success URL. And you can do this in a bunch of ways using login or comments or internationalization. This formally wasn't quite tight enough and would allow some strange cases in. So the method django.util.http.issafeurl is now tighter to handle and correctly validate some malformed URLs. Thanks to Peter Kuma and Gavin Weil for reporting this issue. There's CVE 2014-1418, which is caches may be allowed to store and serve private data. This one's actually a bit silly because it only pertains to older versions of Internet Explorer, that is IE6 and IE7 that run on Windows XP or Windows Server 2003, and it's because these older Internet Explorer versions don't handle the very cookie header, and so an exception's been made for them. So thanks to Seth Arnold from Canonical for reporting this, and to Michael Nelson, Natalia Bidard, and James Westby for discovering the issue and reporting it to Canonical. There was one final vulnerability that was fixed, and this pertains specifically to MySQL typecasting. If you're curious to see all of the security issues that have ever been resolved in Django, in the docs at slash releases slash security is a list of every single security issue that has ever been submitted and fixed. And also, as always, if you have any security issues to report, be sure to submit them to the private security mailing list at security at djangoproject.com and not via some publicly available list. I know that that's happened recently and it led to quite a soul-crushing Sunday for some of our very hard-working core developers. I had the incredible good fortune of going to PyCon US in Montreal during April of 2014, and while I was there, I caught up with a bunch of Django's major contributors and interviewed them about different parts of the Django core. I'm going to be releasing these short interviews in our upcoming podcast, but at Janice Lydell's suggestion, I interviewed Justin Miles Holmes about the Unsettings project, which is a project looking at the idea of removing settings.py from Django. This turned out to being a really informative discussion about a strategy for how this would be done and why it would be important for this to be done and what the implications of it are and generally about some of the principles behind Django. Also, this was recorded on the second last day of Sprint, so it was day nine of the 10-day conference, and both Justin and I were pretty wiped out by this stage, but it's still a really interesting discussion. So this is Justin Miles Holmes talking about the Unsettings project. I started by asking him what the project was. Uh, Unsettings is an effort to transform Django from its current sort of placement in the Python ecosystem uh, as, uh, frankly, an Apache plugin, uh, wherein its uh, default behavior is to act as sort of the, the whole affair of its environment to a 
Python library or, or actually really a series of Python libraries so that the components of Django can become unglued. They can be more easily maintained by uh, individuals who have a particular interest in, in parts of them. Uh, they can be used in, in other projects. And moreover, so that the uh, enormous load of import logic that accompanies uh, the import of most Django modules is removed, which I think will provide a signal, a social signal, to the Python community that Django is Python and that we care about that standard and that we want to behave in such a way that we are friendly in terms of uh, maintainability, readability, and, and uh, usability and interaction with, with other projects. So... What's required to actually do this? Well, uh, so when you, when you start to, to talk to people about settings in Django, everyone is very excited to do things a different way, right? Um, currently, uh, almost without exception, uh, project-wide settings are uh, kept in uh, a series of modules uh, with you know, sort of uppercase global names. Uh, that then uh, the, the lazy settings configure method iterates through the module and transforms those names into attributes on a class. People are very excited to get rid of that, right? They don't want these huge clogged settings files where it's, there, there's very little discipline about which piece of knowledge belongs where, very little agreement on where the one right place for a number of crucial pieces of knowledge within a project is, just general difficulty organizing and shipping settings with libraries that are meant to be uh, either part of the Django ecosystem System or that are meant to be sort of Pythonic generally, but that do something special with Django. Um, so people become very excited over the thought of, say, attaching a, some sort of settings object to a WSGI application or any number of other ways of doing settings. That, I, I think... It may seem strange, but I think that there's a room for a sort of let many flowers bloom mentality there. Uh, and while it's true that we hope that there's one obvious way to do it, uh, as the Zen of Python says, I think that what we'll find is that there's one obvious way to do it for websites that are largely journalistic in nature, that are sort of news websites uh, that, that aren't doing uh, the, who's who's network stack is uh, less important, uh, to, you know, has less of their business logic built in. I think we'll see one methodology of settings there versus a different setting, different settings methodology for uh, sort of one-page app type projects, different settings for uh, Django projects that are heavy in the JavaScript MVC. Like, I think there are different use cases for the different characters of Django project out there. So one thing I want to say right away is that on the Unsettings project is not about advocating a different way to do settings. It's about advocating a way forward so that we can have the opportunity to do a different way to do settings. And, and the way forward is a decorator. We've, uh, at first, I think, charitably, we used the name uses settings for this decorator. So if you look in the slash root fork of Django, you'll see a uses settings decorator. In retrospect, and perhaps still, I think maybe a, a better name for this decorator is unsettings. Because I want to be clear that this decorator is not meant to be, it's not meant to find a long-term home in the Django code base. It, it's a truly terrible hack. I've started using the James Clapper uh, aphorism that it's the least untruthful way. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the, the least untruthful way to regard the way that settings work in the Django internal. So the idea here is to decorate every instance of the Django internals that requires from Django.conf import settings and sort of uses the lazy settings object methodology to replace that with an, an injectable configuration 
you know, as I'm sure your audience can imagine, there are places in the Django internals where it's not entirely clear how to proceed, right? Yeah. So what I want to do is create a situation where every major use case from first-class functions to various methods to some of the sort of stranger, uh, like, closure uh, situations. There are a few uh, bizarre lambdas. There's some very interesting and, and simple but not particularly straightforward uh, code happening in the ORM. Uh, try to take these use cases and show how we can, for one deprecation cycle, use the unsetting decorator to allow developers to get a chance to inject settings into these various functions and methods uh, while at the same time falling back to uh, the lazy settings uh, configure methodology in cases where they're not directly injected. And then our hope is that during that deprecation cycle, people will come up with creative ways to automate the injection of those settings. Uh, and, and for many of them, probably that will be some sort of a per-app attachment to the application object in the, the whiskey.py, wherever people are keeping their whiskey application configuration. So no doubt about it, it adds over a 1,000 lines and probably at the end of the day about 2,000 lines of really horrific cruft to the Django code base. And I respect that, and I understand that uh, members of the Django community are, are not comfortable with that, and I agree with them. I don't think there's a comfortable way out of the mess that we're in. I think that there are varying degrees of discomfort and varying degrees of, of dishonesty in terms of how exposed the code is. And I think, again, the least untruthful way to remediate the situation is to slap a decorator over the top of the places where uh, the internals are, are using uh, django.conf.settings. Uh, and one more thing I want to say about that is that I think that I'm, I'm very, very happy with Django. I, I pick on it all the time, and I, I, I love to talk about how much it sucks, uh, and it's not just settings either. But the reason that I do that, and that I think many people in the Django community do that, is that I really love the way that it works. And I love the... It's really incredible if you look at the early days, if you go back and look at the version control and see how quickly Adrian developed this system and, and got it rolled out into production, it's obvious that this was a totally viable solution at that time. And I think that this is a lesson for a community in how we can endure the growing pains of moving from uh, a situation that's full of merit and good intentions toward one that is, in retrospect, sort of more correct. Uh, because correctness, when you're in a hurry, is, is not always the right thing, right? Just like normalization in a database table when you're in a hurry is not always the right thing, but then eventually uh, we as a community find ways to, to remediate that. So uh, James Farrington from Slashroot, who's a really talented developer who many people in this community have never met in person. He's never been to a conference. Uh, he's worked on a lot of it. And uh, Skyler Duveen, who is the digital ops manager at WNYC, which is one of the biggest and most heavily trafficked Django projects in the New York area, runs all of New York Public Radio, including WNYC, lots of the shows that people in, uh, in our culture listen to all the time. Uh, they've both worked on it uh, quite heavily, and I think uh, between the three of us, we really have three very different perspectives, and I like that. I think if you look at the poll request that we've issued, you can get a sense of even how we've come together to sort of merge our perspectives and make sure that we have a, a viable way forward. So that's a very long-winded <laughs> long winded over to your question, but I think that kind of demonstrates so what's at stake. So has it been very broadly um, adopted so far? Has, have you got many people who have actually been using the Django with this decorator? Uh, uh, no, definitely not. 
the pull request that we've made, I don't think – this is not a pull request. As I said uh, – as I've said several times on list and in IRC and in person, this is not a pull request that we have issued because we expect it to be merged. It's a pull request that we've issued because we want to – we want to begin a dialogue wherein people who think that they have a gotcha in the Django internals have a place where our – you know, we, we wanted to talk with our code. Yeah. Uh, and I think that our pull request does that. I think that it demonstrates most of the major use cases in gotcha and shows a way forward there. I don't think people are using it very widely. I, I think that at WNYC, they, they are continuing to maintain a fork so that they can use Django's uh, mailer, which is actually an extraordinary tiny piece of software makes sending email with Python uh, very easy. It's nice to be able to do that without... It's one of a bunch of packages that you could describe that way. Indeed, the forms API, the low-level caching framework, they'll use the Django template language. Uh, you know, a lot of people have moved to into, in their individual projects to other templating languages, but I, I'm still a fan of the Django templating language. I am also a big fan of the ORM. I, I mean, we all have critiques of, of each of these components, I think, of course, but I think that perhaps we will, st- I know it's happening at WNYC, perhaps slowly, and at Slashroot, we'll start to see folks maintaining an unsetting fork of Django so that they can use uh, those projects. But again, we're talking about decorating uh, some hundreds of functions in the Django internals, and it's definitely not maintainable. To, we're not going to do Django unsetting for 1.6 and then another one for 1.7 and then another one for 1.8. Eventually what we need is to recognize the support of a critical mass of the community in deciding that this way forward or, or perhaps some other way forward, but some way of moving past a current settings methodology is is a way that uh, that a critical mass will support and that we can merge to master uh, with a solid deprecation plan. Yeah. I, I think that from a community perspective, this is this is one of the three most important things that uh, we can do uh, for, for Django in, in these years. And two of them have already been done. Uh, one of them, which I think was the single most important change to Django since I've been using, is uh, is the change to the auth.user model, uh, which Russell Keith McGee took command of, but lots of other people worked on. That was, I think, important from a community perspective because it addressed the place where Django made presumptions about people, about their needs, their intentions, their identity, their names and the way they pronounced and spelled and, and arranged their names, uh, the way that they prefer to communicate or be contacted, the way that we even define users as, as cultural phenomena. Perhaps users are not all humans or perhaps uh, there's something other than a one-to-one relationship between a human and a user, which uh, you know is some trippy information age thing. But I, I think we're able to hold our head up much higher about the way that we conceive our community with the changes to the user model. And then obviously migrations, which Andrew Godwin has done just an absolutely incredible job on. I, I, I get <laughs> chills when I hear him talk about it because fundamentally migrations address a, a deep need in the species to be allowed to change our mind. Being able to proceed knowing that, that making a mistake is not a, a terminal condition for a project, uh, I think enables a certain childlike demeanor about, uh, you know, about the early stages of a project. And I think that, that is, it's difficult to overstate the, uh, the differences in assumptions or perhaps the fewer assumptions, I think the more optimistic assumptions that Django now makes about the humans that use it as a result of those two changes. And I think that unsettings fits very neatly in that paradigm because we now will remove the assumption that the user is unconcerned with import logic or unconcerned with being able to use Django as a library that is part of the Python ecosystem rather than a sort of web plugin, you know, that, that, that has a specific place in, in the network stack. I think this is the third in, in a series of presumption removal. So, that's very exciting. Um, 
Will it be harder for newbies to approach NJAG? I mean, I know that there's a pretty steep kind of learning curve to understand how it all works and fits together, and a lot of the pain points have been gone past, like, you know, scheme migration is tough to understand, um, uh, static files tough to understand, and that's kind of been worked on and improved, but would something like this make it a higher barrier of entry, make it harder overall for the for people approaching Django for the first time to understand. I mean, settings is confusing enough. I mean, that's why 1.6 did go and gut settings because there was just too much stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, so, what would you? What do you think about that? Well, we're thinking about the difference in the shape of the learning curve that unsettings will make. Exposing settings in a way that people can easily read with their eyes and uh, having names that make sense and values that make sense and defaults that are sensible and comfortable is something we don't want to go away. In fact, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the current state of Django and I want to make it the current state of Django. Um, moreover, the current state of Django is one where we have this problem where my guess is that the de facto hello world for Django is no such table Django session. I, I think when, right, if we're going to begin to really like analyze the shape of the curve that new users experience, I think that we can do both unsettings and resettings, if you will, a new way to do settings once unsettings has taken hold. I think we can do those things in a way that not only preserves any ease that currently exists, but that in fact adds ease where currently there isn't. Now, I think that there, there needs to be vigilance. I don't think that there's no pull request that you can make to today's Django master that will ensure ease of adoption two years from now, right? I think that we need, we need vigilance, we need compassion, we need to make sure that we're continually reminded that, that the people who use Django are our people and that they are in different moods on different days and they think differently because they're different people and they eat different things and live in different places and you know speak different languages and, and all these things. So I can certainly imagine a situation where we, for example, are the application object that comes out of the whiskey handler. It perhaps gets wrapped by a settings class the same way that, and I'm, I'm not advocating I think also having settings within the application object is a great idea too. But, you know, uh, the fairly familiar pattern of wrapping the application object with something like Raven in order to talk to Sentry, I think that for the very most basic settings that you might show someone on day one, I think that a methodology like that makes a certain amount of sense because then that person gets not only the experience, uh, the Django experience of seeing which settings are important for their project, you know, database, middleware, uh, caching, and maybe a small number of template loaders, uh, things like that. Well, you know, a small number of, of settings that are sort of uh, crucial to the, the the identity of Django as a as a community and as a software project. But then they also get the experience of not being mystified about how these settings even end up in their project and instead see them directly wrapping an application object that they then are deploying with code that's part of their business logic. And I think that that is enormously empowering. I'm not sure what it does to the curve. And again, I think that there is a room for uh, for a let many flowers bloom approach. I think that there are different ways to do settings for different projects and probably even different ways to demonstrate the ways that settings can work for new users. But currently... None of that is possible, right? Currently, there's there's one and only one way to do it, and if you don't like that way, well, too bad. If you're interested in learning about Django and you want to 
poke around, uh, let's say, the model class in Django.db.models, and you haven't looked at settings, you haven't gone through that part of the learning curve, and you try to import it, you're greeted with a message about how settings haven't run yet, mm -hmm. right? And just about anything you try to do with Django, no matter how removed and, and esoteric it might seem, any attempt to put one's feet in the water to test its temperature is met with settings have not been run yet. Yeah. So I think that there are a number of different entry points for new users who are going to experience different learning curves and removing that barrier, allowing people to put their toe into Django wherever they may see fit, I think is probably one of the most respectful things that we can do to new users. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for talking to me. Uh, it's been really, really great. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much. So that's some food for thought. Justin also gave the Why Django Sucks talk for DjangoCon 2012, which is well worth checking out. So this is from a message from the 11th of April from the developer mailing list and it was posted by Adrian Holovardi. He says, Yesterday at PyCon, about a dozen people from the Django core team had a lunch meeting about various ideas that they'd like to implement. One idea was starting to do the Django equivalent of Python PEPs, which would serve as a formal way of documenting large new feature changes in Django. The goal would be to have all the design documents in a single place. So at the sprint, they went and drafted something. So there's a Git repo now on GitHub at Django slash Deps. That's D-E-P-S, which stands for Django Enhancement Proposals. And naturally, Dep1 outlines how the process works. So if you're familiar with the idea of Python PEPs, like as in PEP8, you'll completely understand what the depths are about. It's intended to be a design document providing information to the community or describing a new feature or process for Django. Depths provide a concise technical specification along with the features as long as the rationale. It's the intention that depths will be the primary mechanism for proposing major new features and for collecting community input on the issues and for documenting the design decisions that have gone into Django. What they say in the rationale for this is that the traditional development process for medium to large features has been haphazard and for almost 10 years the developer communication and planning of new features has been spread across the developer's mailing list, the IRC channel, track, the comment section of GitHub, in person, Skype chats, in scattered work projects and the Django features have all happened in different ways and it's been hard for an outsider to get an idea of the sense of the feature's scope and rationale. And it's also very hard for future developers to piece together the original design decisions for a given piece of Django. Another problem has been getting a clear problem definition for new features. So often feature proposals get batted around by the Django developers mailing list with various people contributing small pieces to an idea. This is a wonderfully messy and open process, but it's hard to get a quick overview of the feature without trawling through the entire mailing list and reconciling all these micro decisions that have been made in the discussion. A big benefit to the depths is that people will not only see all of the information in one place, but you'll also be able to see the evolution of the feature ideas by inspecting the revision control history. 
So if you have an idea for an enhancement proposal or a feature or something like that, bear in mind that Django has a strong tradition of being pragmatic. So understand that this is not bureaucracy for bureaucracy's sake. They're for medium to large features. It's ultimately a judgment call of what would count as an enhancement proposal or not. These are the kinds of things that would count as an enhancement proposal, like the magic removal was and um, adding multi-database support and implementing migrations. And the kind of thing that doesn't count as an enhancement proposal is fixing a bug or changing some internal functionality to accept another argument for an edge case or something like that. So if you would like to write an enhancement proposal, use your judgment. So if in doubt, write a short, enhancement proposal and it should kind of feel like writing to the developer mailing list. So if you've had any medium to large Django features playing on your mind, now's the time to document them. In other news, there is a new Django Kickstarter up called High Performance Django and it's being run by the Lincoln Loop. It's already reached its goal of $5,000 but it's running through until the 12th of June. They're saying that their intended audience are people who are considering using Django for a large project and can understand the effort required to make it work at a large scale, intermediate Django developers, so wanting to fast track their learning, advanced Django developers looking for new tips and tricks or hoping to learn a few things about service and deployment, and also to Django-backed companies who want a roadmap for stable, maintainable, high-traffic Django services. The Lincoln Loop is an agency that have been using Django since 2007 and have contributed a bunch of stuff back to Django, including sponsoring the last Django podcast by Kenneth Love and Brendan Conkle, and they're currently the employer of at least one Django core developer. So that's a Kickstarter for an ebook about high performance Django. Django conferences in the near future. The first of these is Django Village, which is from the 13th to the 15th of June. This is going to be held in a village called Orvieto, which is 100 kilometres north of Rome and 150 kilometres south of Florence in Italy. The conference is going to be held in the Palazzo del Capitano del Popolo, which is a completely restored 13th century palace. And looking at the photos, it looks exactly like the stereotype of a 13th century palace made out of stone on a hill with flags and things. And during the days of the conference, there's going to be a medieval festival known as the Corpus Domini Festival, which is going to be held over the same time as the conference. And so the conference schedule is going to be organised to allow attendees to go and join in some of the events. And some of the events are a large play, which is apparently the festival's focal point, a lot of medieval celebrations. There's going to be a human chess tournament with people dressed up as the pieces, according to the photo. Uh, also, between the afternoon and evening shows and parties that are all part of the festival, there are apparently also going to be many typical medieval dinners being held in restaurants throughout the city. So this is yet another European Django conference showing us all how it's done. Tickets are still available for Django Village in Italy from the 13th to the 15th of June. 
There's DjangoCon Australia on the 1st of August 2014. This is going to be held in the beautiful sunny Brisbane, Australia. The call for papers is closed and the program is going to be announced for this in coming weeks and registration should also be opening at the same time. And DjangoCon US is scheduled for the Labor Day weekend, which is the 1st of September, and no further details are available for this at this stage. There are also a few Django-specific meetups in the next couple of weeks. These are going to be held in Berlin, LA, London, New York City, Seattle, Perth, Boston, Melbourne, Boulder, San Francisco and Sydney. So if you're going to be in any of those cities, look up those Django-specific meetups. So that's it. Uh, if you have anything that you like included in the updates from the podcast, please email scoop at djangoproject.com. And this podcast is brought to you wearing my brand new Django 1.7 celebratory tee with a picture of migrations on it. This was run through teespring.com slash Django17. There was a guys and girls tee as well as a hoodie. And if you'd like one, tough, because this was a limited edition. 665 of them were sold as part of a fundraising campaign for the Django Software Foundation. But I believe that the Django Software Foundation wants to do more of these in the future. So keep your eyes open. Or if you have any ideas for a t-shirt or some other kind of fundraising campaign send them to foundation at djangoproject.com so this was the django news and updates podcast for the 17th of may 2014 thank you for listening and i'm elena williams